Welcome along to episode number 16 of For Ref's Sake. We're back. We're still going. We're still not number one in Malawi, which is really disappointing. I am joined once again on this lovely Monday by my co-host extraordinaire, Luke Scott. Hello, Wayne. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, indeed. So welcome along. Uh, stay tuned. I'm... I'm going to say this right now. Can you go on to um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or whatever you go on to and give us a nice five-star rating because that pushes our podcast out to more people. I was listening to Terry Wenham's podcast this week and uh, even a, a dinosaur like him is pushing it out there. So, yeah, get yourself onto Apple Podcasts. You know, give us your five stars, a nice little rating. Even if you don't like us, don't give us a one-star rating because that makes us sad. Um... This week, we have got a very special guest. We have got Chris Knowles joining us for quite an extended interview. So we've sacked off. We were going to get Sam Anderson on it on here to do some um, quizzing, but we didn't, didn't want to embarrass the poor lad. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But yeah, we have got episode number 16 for Ref's sake. Stay tuned. We've got a great interview and we're going to talk some football refereeing. So, Luke, um, I had a few messages this week from people. Um, firstly, Chris Rowland messaged me today. Uh, okay. And he said that um, he'd like me to play this tune. Bear with me one second. Great tune to be fair. No place to hang out or washing, and then I can't blame all on the sun. Oh no, we're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue, and then we'll take it higher. Oh, we're gonna rock. And uh, the reason he wanted me to play that is because he was refereeing this afternoon, um, and uh, at the University of Northampton, a new campus, you know, down by the riverside. Which yeah. is on Electric Avenue. Believe is it? Or not. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. So he sent me a message saying, uh, I'm going to rock on through. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he sent me a picture of the map. So I worked it out. It was the Eddie Grant song, Electric Avenue. I've I've been to that I've been to that campus campus numerous times and I, I didn't know I didn't know it was on Electric Avenue. So you, I've missed a trick there. You do now. Also had a message this week from Adam Lloyd. A friend of the podcast, um, who <laughs> this is a good one, by the way. He said that um, a player said to him, "Oh, it's all about you, ref." And he said, <laughs> apparently, "Oh, you've been listening to the podcast. It was good, that wasn't it?" Well, I mean, I bet it worked in terms of shutting him up because I bet he was just really confused because he probably <laughs> hasn't listened to the podcast. I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine he has. Um, so, um, since last week. Uh, any midweek games for you? No, nothing for me, mate. No. Um, no yeah, quiet week, had, quiet week, quiet week. We had, we had Northley last week and then, uh, yeah, nothing until yesterday. So Quiet week. So um, a game yesterday that we're not going to divulge into too much because you've upset a few people from what I've heard. But yesterday I went to watch uh, Phoebe, went to uh, Earls Barton. 
I met a guy yesterday, so um, his name is Tony Sanders, who's he's definitely not going to be listening to the podcast. But anyway, um, hats off to Tony Sanders. Uh, he has done 60, six zero years in um, volunteering grassroots football. That is an effort. Yeah, and that, that's an effort that needs some recognition. So um, I'm not sure this podcast is the right place to give that recognition, but we'll give it a go. Absolutely. Um, so he was, you know, impressed with Phoebe's performance. I was there in uh, an official capacity. Um, were you Were you impressed with? I mean, it's great that Tony was, but were you impressed with? She. With he was like the Phoebe Horner fan club. Literally. And were you? Literally. Were you a part of that, or <laughs> just bear with me here, Luke? Yeah. Okay. Even before the game had started, and I've I've met Tony before. He he didn't remember me. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I mean that was a bit rude, but anyway, um, he was saying, "Yeah, oh, you don't need to watch this referee. She's a great referee, Phoebe, um, and, and and she is a very good referee." Uh, and I, I did a because there's no stand at Els Barton. I thought I'm going to try and get some steps in, so I did a, a couple of laps of the pitch, um, just walking around, and um, every time I went around, he wants to talk to me <laughs> some more. You know, a very friendly guy, a very friendly guy. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a an, an enjoyable afternoon, and uh, Phoebe performed well, and uh, and we moved on. But I thought I would put my money where my mouth is. So we have discussed this on our podcast on a number of occasions, um, in respect of the lack of referees available on a Sunday afternoon. Okay. Yeah. So um, until yesterday. So, um, if you don't know, I'm part of the NTFA, um, and we had four under-15s quarterfinals um, this weekend, and two of those games, sadly, um, were short of referees, and I decided, in my wisdom, that I would go and referee one of these games. I found out it was at High and Ferris, which is quite a long way from my house, but yes. I went with it. Um, so, I went over to do... AFC Rushton and Diamonds Fury versus Bugbrook St. Michael's. It's a long way for Bugbrook as well, isn't it? It is a long way. And what a wonderful experience it was. Um, All right. Very well organised. Um, you know, decent pitch. No problems with any spectators. There was a lot of fans there. It was quite final, as you would expect. A lot of supporters there. I mean, you know, parents and things um, made the mistake as a referee of allowing the game to go to penalty kicks. Oh, Wayne, come on. It's never, a, I'm always a bit uncomfortable, especially at youth football, you know, when, when they've worked so hard to get to this point and obviously both teams are, you know, well matched and then it, it yeah, gets yeah. decided on, um, you know, a penalty shootout. And there was a young lad for Bugbrook. Um, I don't know what his name is, but he was much, much shorter than everybody else. So, he, you know, some of them, some of those players are giants. Yeah. Uh, and he missed the, um, you know, the decisive penalty. And he, ah. was, he was devastated. And, you know, I did feel sorry for him. Um, I mean, the game went really well. Uh, lots of positives. And I got um, a 98 from one club and a 90 from the losing club, I actually messaged the winning club and said, where did I lose the two marks? But I've not had a response I knew, yet. I knew you were going to bring this up. Right. I knew it. 
But you ever? I'm gonna. I think during the game, I was thinking of an analogy for the podcast tonight, um, in terms of the game itself, because obviously the game's gone quite well, as I was saying. And you ever been on the M1? Yeah, uh, a few times. Yeah, when you've got like a slow driver in the in the in the slow lane. Yeah, yeah, and the other cars are coming past them really quickly. Yeah. Well, these under fifteens are quite quick, so I was like. I was literally that that one in the slow lane, and these kids were coming back. Whoa! And also, there's a lot of testosterone in under 15s football. So those people can are doing like under 15s, under 16s on a regular basis. You know, fair play to you. You earn your 35 quid or whatever it is because you know, great set of lads, good footballers, but God, there's some testosterone going around there. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. But um, yeah. So a Sunday morning, Sunday morning off. I went down to Abington Park, um, pushed some kids on the swings, my own kids, I just like to point out, <laughs> and uh, bought them an ice cream. And, you know, it was nice to relax. The sun was out, and, and then, yeah, off I went to Hyam. So, um, obviously, we, as I said, we're not allowed to talk about your, um, <laughs> your afternoon no, look, yesterday. Hey, look, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say we're not allowed to talk about it. We are allowed to talk about it. Um, I I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say what game I was on. If if you're that bored, you can look through my and find out. Um, but it was it was eventful, um, and yeah, it, it involved a top of the table team against a, a bottom of the table team. And it's always eventful when the, the lower ranked team go two 0 up in the first twenty minutes, and and that's what happened yesterday. And that that gave us a bit of an event to manage. Um, so me and Jazzy. Me and Jazzy, uh, the other assistant wasn't from Northamptonshire, so I'm not, I'm not just forgetting him. But it was, it was me and Jazzy from a Northamptonshire perspective. Uh, yeah, we had a bit of a, we had a bit of a shift to do. And I almost said the name of the team there, <laughs> which would have been really disappointing ten minutes into the podcast because we'd probably have to re-record it. But um, my important question, Luke, is what was the post-match um, delicacies on offer? Uh, well, in fairness to, to the club in question, um, regardless of outcome of result or performance, uh, referee performance, they always they always look after you and uh, they they continued that tradition. So look, we were well looked after. Um, the result didn't go their way, um, and there was a, there was a, there was a few bones of contention. But in fairness to the people behind the scenes, professional as ever. And really looked after us, and we had a nice, we had a nice bit of uh, chicken and potatoes with a last bit of sauce on top as our, as our post-match refreshments. I mean, uh, that the last bit uh, it took you about two minutes to to, to answer because um, I, I kept thought... I kept almost saying the team as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know. Um, so interestingly, I listened. Um, to match of the day yesterday but on Friday evening there was an interview wasn't there I don't know if you saw it or not on um, was it on BT Sport or Sky no it was on Sky because it was Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville and they were speaking to Howard Webb oh no a, I've not seen that no it's a, a 9 or 10 minute interview and you know he was very open and he was very good I don't know if he I'm assuming he's been briefed for the questions previously because he was very fluent in his answers um, and he was talking about VAR, and I think he termed it as a light touch VAR. And 
he was talking about the decision we've spoken about previously on this podcast um, about the Rashford um, offside, not an offside goal. And he said that, you know, retrospectively now, that goal would probably be disallowed. Interesting. And I think it's also interesting that um, it was the Liverpool game last week where Neil Swarbrick, who isn't an active official anymore, but for some reason he was... So he's the PGMO head of... He's the head of VAR. So he's the person responsible with the PGMO for the way that VAR is run. He was appointed to be VAR for that Liverpool game last week where you could argue Liverpool probably should have had at least one red card. Um, And it's almost been publicly accepted. I think the PGMO have even come out and said that the Fabinho one should have been a red card. And when when it's your when it's your head of VAR that's that's the person that's responsible for getting that decision wrong, that's a that's a brave thing to do. So I think we're we're obviously in a in an era with Howard Webb where we're going to see a bit more transparency around uh, not necessarily the decision making process yet, but at least the expected outcome for each situation, which I think is what we need because. The more we see situations and the more they give us an expected outcome, the more that people understand what they, they should be seeing on a on a match day basis. He also spoke about, um, and I've, I haven't seen a lot of this, I, saw, I think I've seen it once, uh, there was a tackle last week by Andy Carroll, I believe, Yeah. Um, which has put, I think it's Ericsson out for two months or something like that. Um, yeah, and he said, possibly to the end of the season, yeah. He said that, uh, in hindsight, that should have been a red card as well, and uh, I mean that's that's a brave thing to say. Um, I would I would assume he's he's briefed the official or the, the official in question. You know, it's, it, this hasn't come as a massive surprise to to him. Um, you know, because he's pretty much said you got it wrong. But I, I think I think it's what they need in a, in a way because um, I'm sure they get those conversations privately uh, before now I'd, you'd like to think um, that they're getting those conversations privately where people are telling them that perhaps they've got it wrong but you know I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for those those types of things to go public and and people to take ownership of them because at the end of the day the, the whole VAR thing is is such a massive bone of contention for everyone involved in football that the sooner the sooner we've got more of an expectation about what's going to be given, what's not going to be given, what's a red card, what's not a red card, what's going to be given as a handball, all of that type of stuff. The more that's communicated publicly, the more it's going to be accepted. At the minute there is that there is no communication publicly uh, aside from the the interview that you've mentioned, Wayne. So it's all a bit cloak and dagger, isn't it? It's a bit like, well, uh, is it right? Is it wrong? The more we start celebrating when referees have got it right or also highlighting when referees have got it wrong or not highlighting perhaps but accepting when referees have got it wrong the public are going to be more on board with the whole decision making process I think I mean pub chat these days is um, everyone hates VAR so it's gone from oh we really want VAR he's VAR we don't want VAR (laughs) it's rubbish (laughs) yeah it's a big frustration of mine because the old you know the, the match of the day situation. If you if you rewind ten years, 
their their freeze framing offsides when you know a tight offside just before a goal and they're going oh well as the line I got it wrong and and they're dissecting that decision and they're going oh well the assist the, the referees need more help they bring in this more help and then they're going well they don't need that much help um you know uh, why why are we going to that level of detail that's ridiculous well you know give us a break you either you either want it or you don't and and it's it that again it's double standards in the media which isn't helpful mate you've uh, when you listen to the chris Knowles interview you've been very ranty tonight i have yeah sorry it's you know it's been and you know seamless link here friday evening um so we, we record this on the sunday and uh you know nothing like last minute preparation but um we had a little quiz didn't we on friday we, we raised a lot of money again for our charity team Daisy, etc etc uh and you came second um in the quiz i did yeah because again 100 percent streak um so yeah and i'm a knowledgeable man however a, a couple of podcast listeners beat you to first place one of them being um james campbell he's probably not listening he, he doesn't listen to a lot of episodes i bet even though he was on episode one or two um you know how how did you lose to somebody who's got sam anderson in their team because uh i again i don't think i, I don't think sam anderson listens to this but um he would have had very little involvement in any of the answers um who who's who steered that team and carried that team was Bev, who we have had on this podcast. She would have steered that team to victory and fair play to her. Can't knock her. There was one point between us. Um, look, we made a few rogue choices in some of the top 10 rounds that you did. And and it, it, it came to, it came to, to cost us. But at the end of the day, mate, it, it was a good night for charity. That's the main thing. <laughs> charity, was, charity was the winner <laughs> and you were. And also... Um, so the Saturday morning chat in the Chalmers household, because Miss, I mean, some people may say there's a bit of a, an issue here, but Mrs. Chalmers and Chalmers Junior, Senior, so Junior, Senior, as in she's a junior, but the seniors of the juniors, I said to them on Saturday morning, I, I'm not being funny, but how did you actually win that quiz? And, uh, and <laughs> I'm not going to mention which one it was, but one of them said, well, it was nothing to do with Sam Anderson because the answers that he came up with were dreadful. And, and do you know what? I bet that was that was that was the junior senior. It wasn't because it, it wasn't as polite prob- as that. <laughs> she probably had more input than Sam Anderson did. Because um, it was the last round was a team daisy round, so every um, every uh, answer began with a letter from Team Daisy. So T for you know the answer began with T, etc. You got. I'm sure you've got the idea. And um, one of the questions was a Middlesbrough question because obviously from Middlesbrough, um, big fan of the northeast. Uh, and I said, with the E, uh, you know, Captain Cook, famous explorer. What was the name of his ship? HMS. What begins with an E? And Ando was adamant it was HMS Enterprise. I mean, have you have ever heard of a a royal ship that might in the seventeen hundreds that might have been called Enterprise? I mean, I. I was the reason that our team got that right. Um, and I don't know where I plucked that answer from. <laughs> but uh, HMS Endeavours never sounded so good. Anyway. Um, 
we haven't got time this week for um, it's all about you, Ref, or all all a quiz, which Chris Rollins probably buzzing about. He normally listens to this on the way to work. He, he messaged me last week and said that um, I sounded very happy last week on the podcast. And I said, Chris, I'm always happy on the podcast. I love doing the podcast. And uh, when I I did a a nine mile run slash walk this week, and I listened back to the podcast, and admittedly. I did sound very happy on the podcast. And if I was sounding too happy, I can only apologise for my happiness. You don't need to apologise for being happy, mate. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's a good thing. Good. So we've got Chris Knowles coming up. Um, a brilliant interview. And we've said this before. It's like, we do this every week, pretty much. And we learn new stuff all the time, don't we? Genuinely, we do. it's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. how he's moved from rugby to football and you know the feelings he had getting to uh, national league or the conference as it was in those days and you know the disappointment that injury um you know curtailed his career essentially um but we'll have a little chat with him and we'll we'll uh endeavor endeavor <laughs> endeavor to keep you interested don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because we need every listener we can get Stay tuned for part two, Luke. Yes. Okay, so welcome back to part two of For Ref's Sake, Northamptonshire's number one refereeing podcast. And we would like to welcome our very, very special guest. It's almost like North Ants refereeing royalty, Mr. Christopher Knowles. Welcome along, Chris. Thank you. Um, very pleased to be here. You did sound like my mother. Only she calls me Christopher. But I'll let that uh, <laughs> I'll let that slip aside for this uh, for this one occasion. So uh, no, evening to you both, and thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So, you know, we're going to talk a few things about refereeing. We're going to talk about how you got into football and stuff like that. Um, because if if you've ever met Chris, he's a very tall man. A very tall man. Uh, nicknamed Hightower um, from the old Police Academy uh, series of films. Luke, you might be too young to remember that. Uh, yeah, I am. But, but anyway, he was <laughs> Hightower's a really a tall policeman. Um, well, I'm glad you told me that because I didn't know that was the reason. But I just thought it was because it was tall. <laughs> well, essentially, it is. But you know, so Chris, when did you first when did you first get involved in football? Uh, it was more fortuitous. Um, Two thousand, uh, I'd come to the end of uh, my rugby career, rugby union career, and um, usual scenario, just having a kick around with uh, with my mates on a Sunday morning. We had a game over at Gillsborough. Um, unfortunately, the referee never arrived, so we had quite a few subs uh, on the bench that day. So I said, "Look, I'll uh, I'll take charge." Grabbed a, a rusty Acme whistle out of the out of the first <laughs> aid kit, which is normal standard <laughs> protocol, um, and ended up doing the the next ninety minutes. And um, it was like I say, it was over at Gillsborough, and just happened to be that a certain Rodney Burt was uh, was walking the trenches on that day. Uh, came over, introduced himself, and uh, asked if um, I'd consider taking up the whistle. So, jumped on the next eight-week course at Bogbrook under the 
uh, guys of the two Pete's, Pete Ratton and, uh, and the late Pete Thompson. So, um, and that was it. That was where my sort of refereeing career was was born at Bilbrook St. Michael back in, in 2000, would you believe? But how, because you, as you just said, um, you're, is it fair to say essentially you're a rugby man? You, know, you, you love your rugby. So how did the transition go from rugby to football? Were you still playing football while you were playing rugby as well? Uh, there was a, a transition. So but my rugby career started sort of back in, in 1989. Um, I was lucky enough that my schoolmaster at, at Bulbrook Campion Secondary School was also the Northampton Saints under-21 coach. And um, I'd played under-16 and under-17 county rugby. And I was asked to go down... Uh, a year young at um, sort of Colts level, sort of under 18. So I went down there for a trial, uh, spent three years down there playing for the under 18s, two years playing for the under 21 team. We were lucky enough to get to Twickenham in 94 to play the county championship. And then um, went on tour to America in 94. And then in the November of 94, um, I was asked to play for the first team for um for the first time so that was in the amateur days if you cast your mind back i know sort of rugby union now is very much professional but um the transition going into professional rugby uh, started sort of 95 96 so i was too old for age group rugby so found it very difficult to try and uh, keep a position down at northampton with um those traveling from seas afar to uh, come and apply their trade so i then ended up playing rugby at Bogbrook. Uh, for three years, and then the uh, dreading thought of courting arrived, um, met my future wife, Emma, and the rugby career started to dwindle, but still kept in contact with my mates, and uh, we were just having sort of kick-arounds on Sunday morning, and for me, I'm very much a challenge-based kind of individual, so I was lucky enough with my rugby career that I was quite successful, and just fancied a new chapter, so uh football refereeing was was the way forward and the most asked question I get is why did I not go into rugby refereeing but that's all sir this sir that and it's quite easy and uh, quite straightforward in my <laughs> humble opinion so football refereeing was uh, was the only choice I think. I suppose it's easy when you know the rules and I was in it but I mean I think I'd struggle with rugby refereeing. Uh... Well apparently there's about 50 odd odd laws um just in the line out itself so i yeah. thought no that's got to be that's got, <laughs> that's not for me um i could uh, sort of fudge my way through the laws of association football and try and make a <laughs> career out of it and here we are so so when you went on the uh, the tour to america did everybody have like helmets on and uh, shoulder pads well the irony <laughs> is is that i broke my collarbone out there so maybe i should have had a helmet and shoulder pads and i wouldn't have come back with my arm in a sling but um yeah, it's. Uh, I, I had fun times playing rugby. Um, mates for life, as they always say. There's a great speech by Sir Ian McGeekin in the British Lions of 97. That, And I suppose for me now, not being involved within refereeing, is that, and I sort of cast a, a very wide net when I call people friends, um, that I sort of see those rugby colleagues now, and I'm sure with, with football colleagues, refereeing colleagues in the future, that there'll be like a look across that street um, to sort of know what we got up to um, on Saturdays in changing rooms at Junction 15, the legendary Junction 15, <laughs> if you were travelling south. Um, and I think that applies across all sports, is that you you form a bond with with people and you're out in pretty much sort of teams of three, um, sort of especially at 
sort of United Counties League level and uh, and above at contributory league level, um, that you sort of form this bond with people and become very good friends with. And, uh, and, and that is something that I sort of hold close to my heart that I've got friends out there still um, that, I call, that I can call friends and, and still um, have a laugh and a giggle with. Yeah. Quite philosophical, that. Sorry <laughs> I mean, about that. Uh, mate, I, I mean, I, I had to get the tissues out there for a moment. But um, So, I remember this story. Um, you've told me this many times, but I think it's fair we need to share this with the, with the, the listening public um, of the, your, your final at six fields as a goalkeeper. I forget the team you were playing for. I it believe was Cliftonville. Mr. Rathbone was involved, and maybe Mr. York, if, if I'm, and Mr. Bandy, I believe. Yes, yes, Mr. Ian Bandy was the match day referee, Mr. Matthew York. When I when I say I cast my friends list quite wide, <laughs> Matt York was not <laughs> one of my friends on that afternoon. Bearing in mind that obviously I'd been refereeing for a number of years, and I think it was 2003. Um, again, sort of going back to my Sunday morning time used to play in goal and uh, we thought we'd have a bit of a revival and ended up putting a team in for a year and we got to six fields um it's remiss of me not to remember which uh, competition it was but um penalty was awarded by mr mr bandy um and matt was the would have been the senior assistant so uh, matt's come round to administer the goal line um as you would normally expect um first penalty was taken and uh, Matt's waving his flag because the physio and the injured player are walking behind the goal. So it's like, OK, the goal was scored. So I wasn't too bothered about um, Matt flagging. Next thing you know, retake. I end up saving the retake. I'm thinking, what a save that was. Next thing you know, referee Bandy blows his whistle again because old busy lino Matt York <laughs> is still, still flagging. It's like, I'm going to stick that flag where the sun doesn't shine. Um, so I ended up having a, a second retake and they ended up scoring the, and the goal counted. So um, I passed on my congratulations to the match day refereeing team as I stormed off with my um, loser's medal. But anyway, there we go. We call it a, a runner's up medal these days. There's no such thing as losers, you know, being on PC. I was lucky if we got me bus fare home, but um, no, to have to have refereed and to have played at Sixfields was um, was was very, it was something again that I I take uh, take with me very fondly. So you've gone through you've gone through the levels of football. So you've, you you started you know doing Saturday football, Sunday football, uh, and and you progressed through quite quickly. I think it's fair to say. Um, yep. So you've got to because I remember me you and you and I doing a fitness test. Of it, Ketchering. Do you remember those days? Oh, uh, awful. Vaguely, oh, vaguely, yeah. Awful I think I days. carried you round. I had big pockets that day. I think <laughs> I carried, carried you round yeah. for 2,700 metres, as it was, I believe. And, you know, in those days, uh, it sounds like, like we're like 100 years old, but there was a real kind of, um, you know, it wasn't whoever replied got, you know, got got a gig, I suppose. You know, because I remember one year, I think you um, you got promoted, I think it was to level four, and you were like literally the only one in the county who got promoted. It was like, there was five of us, I think, nominated and what have you. And, uh, and, you, and you got it. In those days, it wasn't like, I'm not saying it's a gimme now, because obviously there's, there's certain criteria, but it, I think yeah. it's fair to say it was much more difficult to get promoted to um, level four as it was in those days. 
Um, whether it's due to an I know geographical, there was always sort of that north-south divide when it comes to refereeing. I mean, Northamptonshire was um, the the north end of of those appointed south, if that makes sense. So w w it was it was very seldom that we ended up going into into Lincolnshire or Leicestershire. I know numbers played a massive part, and and I know before I sort of left service that with Ed Duckworth coming into position, looking at, uh, into post, sorry to look after the level fours, very much of a juggle um, trying to get that balance of numbers because um, there was obviously referees that weren't getting the influx of games that they were hoping for. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly different times when um, sort of ended up getting up to level level three, level four. And then the, the transition of me going to level two, as it was, for those that can cast their mind back, um, my first year as a level two was the year that they had announced that they were going to split the pyramid where 2A and 2B came in. So I was lucky enough to finish in the top 32 off the 64 that were officiating at level two um, to end up going into into 2A. Those, and if you can sort of picture this, that those that were at level two that didn't make it into the top 32 ended up obviously amalgamating with some level threes to form the 2B list, they were now assisting at clubs that they were refereeing the previous season. So it was a very difficult sort of transitional period once the, the pyramid split and went from 2 to 2A two into 2B. I didn't realise that. I mean, I knew I knew that you were part of that 2A, 2B split, but I didn't, I didn't realise that the lads that were ex-level twos that, that didn't make the, the, the 2A split we're, we're then running the line. That's that's a, that's quite brutal, isn't it? Really, when you think about it. Yeah, because if you take the level two as it was in in old money, we were we were sort of facilitating um, conference national um, national league as it is now, and football league and Premier League reserves. Yes, I get the structures change with with sort of PL two and stuff, but um, they found that with referees getting promoted onto the national list that because of the 64 that were on the level two list, they weren't doing more than 10 games, which the PGMO found, and obviously the FA um, as a support, found it very difficult um, to sort of supplement the fact that referees were only doing sort of five, six games and then being promoted onto the national list. So the restructure of the twos into, into 2A and 2B halved the list which then meant that those at 2A could do 20, 25 games before they got onto the national list, which was sort of something that they could put forward to the board to say, look, these are the numbers that they're generating in games officiated, uh, which which made it and um, gave it a little bit more um, substance to to their promotion onto the national list. Right. Yeah. So before before the split, you level twos as as you were, you were doing. You were doing National League, Prem, and North and South. It was it was it a bit like the, the level three setup now, where we do some step step three, some step four, or is that um, how it works? No, no, the level threes were doing North and South, and, oh, okay. and, and the level twos were doing um, Conference National and Premier League Reserve, Football League Reserve. Oh right, so you had sixty four, you had sixty four referees just for Conference National. And yeah, and and the football league reserve, uh, yeah, and, and those those football yeah. leagues, oh, right, which okay. is which yeah. is obviously over a season. That's why those referees, those sixty-four referees, only did sort of five yeah, yeah. middle. Yeah, uh, okay. So, so from a numbers point of view, 
um, it, it made it more beneficial to sort of halve those numbers, left re less referees to serve the competition, but gave sort of games that they were facilitating a lot more substance yeah, to then yeah. go, right, this referee's now done 15, 20, 25 middles. This is what they're about, rather than being promoted onto the national list by just doing six or five. Yeah, right? absolutely. So Sorry, at, Wayne, I cut you off there. No, 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 it's fine. That's fine, because at that point then, um, were you still assisting at football league level as well on, or not? Yes. Yeah, so from my... Um, promotion onto the Football League as an assistant in 2008 as a level three. I was then still facilitating my role as a Football League assistant um, and also then got promoted to level two and then doing dual pathway at level 2A. So it, the the the, um, the change in the, in the system hadn't come in then by the time I'd um, sort of reached both those levels as an assistant and as a referee. So I know you had a, a really bad injury, didn't you? Um, yes. When did that happen? Was that in your first season as a level two, or was it? Did you have a season or two at level two? Um, it, well, I was four years at level two, and then I um, had a quite a serious back problem, which ended up turning into a an operation. Um, so, in answer to your question, did two years as a level two? So, one as a two, one as a two A. And then that third season is when I had my problem and sort of deteriorated and was pretty much the sort of the, I say demise, that's quite a strong word, but that was sort of the catalyst on on why I couldn't sort of fulfil because my, my general health and I was conscious of officiating at that level as a dual, at a dual role, um, that I wasn't sort of contributing my best. So that's when I sort of retired from active service in 2015. But there is a happy ending, I have to say. <laughs> oh, we love a happy ending and, on for FC. And this, this isn't going to help Stuart Gary Burt's position here, because I did listen to when when uh, Bertie was on. It was mentioned about the Goral Barnes. I don't know if you're all yeah. aware. Oh, <laughs> I, now I know where this is going. I mean, I, I love it and I hate it at the same time, but you carry on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here like a coiled spring. I can't wait to get it out. Um so, yeah, having um, then retired from the PGMO and sort of handing in my notice to them and the Football Association, um, I managed to get myself back sort of uh, fully fit, back onto the local circuit, did a couple of UCL sort of reserve games and, um, and was helping Tony Major out in the town league. That naturally put me in a position without any brown envelopes um, to, to be awarded the Goral Barnes in... Uh, in, in 2000 and, uh, 2015. So that was my final competitive men's middle at Six Fields, 5th of May 2015, Goral Barnes. Right, I've got a lot of buttons on this podcast machine, right? And what <laughs> I need now is a beep, because I can't beeping believe that you've beeping ging, been given that beeping game, you beeping, beeping, beep. <laughs> and Nosey, just... Just to, just to follow up on that, mate, how, how was it to, to referee the Goral Barnes final, mate? Because I've heard a lot about it, but um, I've not actually spoken to anyone who's actually done it other than other than Bertie. So come on, talk to me. Well, um, I think there was a dis I can't remember if there was a dismissal in the game. I think I was I in the game. I had to get my numbers up, didn't I, before? I had to get my stats <laughs> I was throwing stuff on the pitch, mate. You <laughs> beep, um, you beep. So my final team was Jakob Geerchik. Joe Woolmer. Sorry about that. 
and the great were you appointing no it would have been Tony Major <laughs> <laughs> and um Daryl Horner Oh my uh, word! So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't sorry, Nelson, I'm going to interrupt here. But who put Daryl Horner next to you? It must have been like a, <laughs> a little large show. One of those things. When you're six foot eight, there aren't many photos that I've appeared in pre-match that so there isn't somebody sort of minuscule that sort of perched on the side there, going, "Just get over and done with, please." <laughs> oh. I tell you what, my on that note, my my one of my favourite photos that I've seen of you is. And, and it's it's a really nice moment for you because it's the time you officiated at Wembley. So we need to talk about that. But it, it's that it's that pre-match photo at Wembley because you are you are so much taller than any of the other officials. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is though is that unfortunately the way we walked out of the tunnel is that Dave Webb, um, who was the fourth official on that day. I mean, Dave's about four foot two, and that's with yeah. baby baby bio in his shoes and stuff. Yeah. So whoever I was going to stand next to out of the other three. Um, yeah, it, it looked like uh, if you draw drew a line over our heads, it would look like a very um, irregular heartbeat because it was like a flat line and then sort of just beeped <laughs> up and then sort of dropped down to Dave Webb again. But um, yeah, there we go. That's um, nature of the beast again. So what what game was that, Nolsey? What, what did you do at Wembley? What was it? So that was the conference playoff final, the uh, National League conference playoff final um, in 2008 between Cambridge United and Exeter City, which was a very special moment. So ironically, and I mentioned my three colleagues on the day who have gone on to better things because Craig Pawson was the referee. Uh, okay. um, yeah, uh, Darren England uh, was the other assistant. And we oh, really? Where, yeah, we know where Daz is now. Obviously yeah, yeah. FIFA referee. And then Webby, Dave Webb is... Uh, I'm not sure if he's select group two or three. I think he is SG2. Is he SG2? Um, So those three are doing very well and and I'm on your podcast. (laughs) So, and I couldn't think of anywhere anywhere better. What would you rather be doing? Yeah, you're the real real winner, mate. You're the real winner in this. (laughs) But it was a surprise call from from, uh, Peter Ellsworth. And again, I sort of go back to just a humble sort of former rugby player that, was asked to give refereeing a go and I'm very sincere in, in all that I do and, and I'm very genuine with, with what I say now is that for, for any sort of budding referees out there that think, do you know what, I'll, I'll give it a go and I'll try and progress. There are some that are quite happy and plateau um, as a level seven or a six within county football is that if you put your mind to it and you do well over a season and you get rewarded, then the benefits now, and I know you've had previous personnel on the uh, on the podcast that um, that are doing very well for themselves that you can actually make a career out of it so just take things at a short short steady steady step uh, go at your own pace and uh, and you never know where that that pathway will lead i think that's um i, I think that's great advice mate and yeah we we've said this in the past couple of weeks that we're we're keen to make sure that this is this is a development thing as much as anything else for for referees but as well as being entertaining, obviously. Now, uh, I just want to—I just want to pick up on one thing. Now, I asked—I asked Andy Humphreys last week about the old topical debate whether um, ex-players make better referees. Now, you, as a as a rugby boy originally, and then you—you know—you've gone through the levels and you got to level two A in in our current money uh, as somebody that has not. You know, Humpo played at supply league level, so I asked him that question. Yeah. You, as far as I'm aware, you didn't play football at 
even even at that level. No. But you've you've managed, and I never saw you referee, unfortunately. But from what I've heard, uh, you know, all of the feedback that I've heard is you were a very good referee, and obviously you got to two A, so you must have been a very good referee. So, do you subscribe to this theory that players or ex-players will make better referees? I think anybody can be a great referee regardless of, of of what they do, what their background. Um, you hear on the sidelines, oh, have you ever played ref? Um, I can vouch for that. No, I never played. But my answer would be is that if you're diligent and you apply yourself, and I think man management was certainly a key topic of mine, is that I could be very proactive with my approach Yes, my sort of size and demeanour certainly helped. But if you're a smaller referee, you may have to work a little bit hard with that. But in answer to your question, I think anybody can be a referee. Um, players have got sort of the background of uh, the the warts and all, the, in, the ins and outs of football. But again, would they turn, let me get this the right way around, would they turn poacher, become gamekeeper? Because I think if they applied themselves how any layman who who has just done the referees course would apply themselves then because they've got that background does that help them more to somebody who's maybe a little bit more diligent applies themselves differently and could be a better referee than someone who's been involved in football so yes I think is the answer to your question but I'd supplement that with anybody can be a referee if they apply themselves and, and give it 110 percent yeah it's a completely different skill set isn't it I mean you know there's there's very good players that that will never make referees because they just don't have the the specific set of skills that are required. They might be able to see what's a foul and what's not a foul, but like like you've alluded to, there's so much more that goes into it. So I think it's it it's it's disappointing from the media point of view that that the current messaging going out is that ex-professionals would be better better referees when it's not necessarily the case because there's a, a large number of ex-professionals that we could think of that would be terrible referees just because of the way they are do you think though it's a bit of bit of bit of bravado here that that they wouldn't want to be referees because they've been a professional footballer and they're almost sort of without wanting to quote anything from star wars but they are almost going to the dark side as if like now they're governing football rather than they were allowed to play football yeah but i mean potentially um particularly particularly those that have been at the, the really top level like I think I've mentioned on here previously when when I was in the RDO role I had a I had a cobblers player contact me who was coming towards the end of his career and he, he was interested in becoming a referee and the FA did have a, a, a pathway for ex-professionals to go through that so you know I, d- I sent him to that pathway but I've not I've not seen anything from him since then so I I think there there is an appetite but it's it's a very small minority that will look at it in that way um in terms of uh, as an opportunity and quite what the reasons are why it's not taken up as much as perhaps the media certainly want it to and and perhaps the PFA and and people like that want it to be um I I don't know what the reasons are for that because I've famously Nolsey uh rubbish at football as as you've experienced um and I've (laughs) never been anywhere near professional football in terms of my playing career so we're not taking performances in um in charity (laughs) matches mate we'll we'll leave that to one side (laughs) but no I think I think you're right and whether there's sort of the um if they were anonymous and 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 came on to a a refereeing course and and I I didn't know them um as a sort of professional footballer 
Um, I think I would judge them on what they produced over that weekend or two weekends or however long that we would see them. And at the end, if he turned around and, and I said, look, you, you've got a really good future here on what I've seen as a referee. You've applied yourself. You've 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 answered everything. Um, you know, law, you're very fit. Would I then judge them differently? Because then I found out after the um, after the course that they were an ex-professional footballer. Yeah, and I think that's where I'm uncomfortable with the whole conversation is because, um, you know, you as someone that's made it to, to 2A, you know the level of work that goes in to get to that level. And we're almost saying, or, or the, the media are trying to portray this as, well, an ex-Football League player will be a better Football League referee than somebody that's worked their way from the very grassroots, right their way through all the levels to the Football League. And I think we all know that's not the case. Just because they've played at Football League doesn't mean they're going to be able to walk out on day one after a referee course and referee a game at Sixfields or yeah. MK Dons or wherever. It's it's not it's just not going to happen. It's not feasible because of the amount of hours and the amount of effort that goes into that person reaching that level. I think also in my um, time within refereeing, the amount of people that I've heard have given it a go at their local club um, or have refereed their son or daughter's match and have gone, do you know what? That's a lot more difficult than I thought. And sometimes they sort of do pay their respects and go, it's a, it's a thankless task. Um, sometimes we, we don't help ourselves. And I can allude um, a little bit more on that if, if you wanted. But I think what, what my point is here is that and, unless people actually have a go, and understand how difficult refereeing can be. Um, it just, again, and I sort of highlight what you've just said, Luke, that, that the amount of effort and time that goes in to um, making ourselves better as an individual to become a better referee, I think the, I think that's largely goes unmissed by quite a lot of people. And I think you're probably the perfect person to speak to about the amount of effort that goes in to developing referees and making referees better because of your uh, involvement in the FA FA core program towards the end of your um, footballing career. So, yeah. you know, you, you know more than anyone about what's currently being done to support referees and, and move referees to the next level and, and make the referees at the next level even better. Yeah. Um, how did how did that transition happen from from being an active official into into that type of role and how did you find it um well i and and snakey it's time to get the uh get the tissues out again so once <laughs> yeah i've like yeah. <laughs> just once been to a for the last five minutes listening to luke talk for a change so it was quite nice <laughs> it's it's my developer role i like to get everybody involved <laughs> on these uh, on these discussions um having Again, I go back to the having done the Goral Barnes. Right, we've put that to bed now. <laughs> um, I decided that I thought my traits and attributes could be well well harnessed at county level. So Luke was um, in his RDO role, and the idea I was on ref, on the referees committee, and the idea of sort of setting up the county core group uh, was in its infancy. So I said, look, mate, I want to get on board with this. I want to assist where I can. Numbers were a little bit light um, on, on sort of the voluntary role. So that's where the, the county FA development group came up. The IBA Cup 
has 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 been well versed as well, which is a great experience for those that the honour was bestowed on upon them. Um, and then out of the blue, the FA core um, system was being set up because there was little pockets around the country um, that sort of weren't being housed um, down at down at Wembley through the FA themselves. And um, got a got a phone call from Dan Meeson, the current. Um, head of FA refereeing um, and said we'd like you to be the the eighth and final cog in the in the FA core uh, setup and be the regional lead for for the central region which it didn't take me too long to sort of <laughs> think about it um, just sort of being elevated and again sort of thanks to the county for sort of their support sort of putting me on that pedestal um, and then spent six very very successful years as the regional lead working with a fantastic team and, and I know there's some that uh, that may listen to the podcast and, and I'm forever indebted for their their support and obviously the FA support and, and those colleagues around the country that um, I was lucky to lucky enough to work with over those six years. So there must have been uh, you know been very positive but what made you stop doing that was there a reason why was it just kind of you know a tiredness of being involved in football or yeah, I, I'm a good judge of character, especially with my own character. And I felt that there was um, a, a need, a change of scenery for myself. Um, I was getting a little bit despondent going to games as a as a as a referee developer um, of sort of the toxic atmosphere that I was sort of receiving at, at certain games. Um, it, it's never a good feeling when when you're constantly being subject to um, sort of passive abuse um, whilst at grounds, um, referees constantly being berated, getting dirty looks from spectators because they knew that we were affiliated to the matchday team, comments, and didn't really leave home on a Saturday afternoon to with my out of my own time to go and sort of help referees to then. Um, sort of come home a little bit uh, despondent and dejected that um, that we'd had sort of a bad afternoon because of um, some people with their lack of knowledge, because a lot of them were were very um, harsh on their comments without knowing the full facts. So that was part and parcel of it. Um, and I left the central region in in good good steady hands, and and I have no doubt that that's um, that's still moving at a great lick, supporting referees that have been. Uh, been offered a position within FA Corps for for the um, 2022-23 season. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll come back to we'll come back to what what the FA Corps does, mate. But I think what what you've just raised is a really valid point because just just yesterday at my game, and I, I won't I won't mention where it was because that would be unfair. But um, as as I've mentioned previously, my dad my dad comes to all of my games and gave him gave him a a call on the way home after the game yesterday. It was a particularly uh, challenging game, let's say. Um, and as we, as we left the field of play, we had the the usual um, congratulatory comments, as as you can imagine, Nolsey. But um, you know that that that's part of part of what we do, and and that's kind of what, you know what we expect. But what 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 really got me was when I rung my dad, and he and he said, um, yeah, I was I was stood in the stand, and the, these these couple of lads they were saying, ah. Oh, I can't believe it. We haven't had one referee this season that hasn't been biased against us. And that's to me that that really struck a nerve because it's like that's that is the mindset of football 
fans and that can't possibly be a logical mindset. How is that possibly a logical mindset? The team I was at yesterday have played 24 games this season. And they, in, in this guy's head, all 24 referees have been biased against him. How, how, how does anybody have that as a rational thought process? It just, it beggars belief. And it, it kind of, it ties into what you were saying about people then tarnishing you with the same brush as the referee and you you getting stick for just merely being associated with that referee that the whole thing is is wrong and it is toxic um i don't know how we change it and i don't think you know it's 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 not a quick fix but that whole thought process is just just mind-boggling for me i mean i i refer back to and i think for me personally this is a valid point the transition between rugby and and football um the match day environment and my current role now is i'm part of the safety team as one of the stewards down at northampton for their home games and and loughborough lightning ladies um we have no trouble we have no segregation there's drinking in the stands they everybody is polite courteous um they're grateful for what the safety team do um it's it's abhorrent that you have to go to games within football where there's segregation and people can't behave themselves and i refer again back to lack of knowledge from spectators and i had a classic example and this is by no means a sexist comment but there was a lady in the stand and it was quite quiet and there was an attacker standing in an offside position in the opponent's half from a goal kick and the goalkeeper kicks the ball extremely long and this shout of Lino you've got one job to do can't you see he's offside and it's the lack of knowledge that really grates me because sometimes there's needless comments um, that are banded around and can affect match officials when the when the officials have done absolutely the correct thing um, and that's not right as well. No, and uh, look, what what we didn't want this podcast to be was pro referee. The referee's always right. We, you know, we we don't want that because we understand that referees. Well, you know, I must have made five, ten, fifteen, twenty plus mistakes yesterday, but that happened. Are you getting better then? Yeah, well, well, yeah. Since since you started, since you've stopped coaching me, mate, I'm I'm working wonders. I tell you, that's why he's not had to go with bounds, mate. That's why he's not had to go with bounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, proof in the pudding. But we're not. Um, no, we we what we don't want to be is just constantly promoting the fact that referees are always right because mistakes happen. We're human beings. But what what we're trying to do is promote that conversation, that positive conversation between referees, club secretaries, and even even spectators, God forbid, if we ever get to that point where actually we everybody can be singing off the same hymn sheet and understanding exactly what's happened. You know, that that Marcus Rashford thing last in the last couple of weeks was a classic yeah. example. It's gonna divide people, but it's going to divide people for the wrong reasons. It's going to divide people because people don't understand the law. It will divide referees, and it has divided referees, whether Marcus Rashford was interfering. But the the, the pundits and, and the, the public opinion on that was just so misguided. How do we stand a chance in those types of situations? If everybody's having a, a debate, and it's a debate based around the laws of the game, then we'll be in a much better place. 
but we're nowhere near that point because people watch something and they go well that's wrong without any any real basis on the laws of the game I think, again, going back to your valid point there of about knowing law and stuff uh, as referees, and, and this is a bit of a slap on the on the back here and a, and a slap on that naughty hand for, for, for the referees is that we don't help ourselves with our fitness and we don't help ourselves with, with knowledge of law because they're, they're two very easy um, topics and subjects that, that can be rectified, that can aid aid your experience on match day um if we're not fit enough to to be in credible positions to to give uh, credible decisions then you're only making a rod for your own back i mean you imagine it being a, a cup semi-final and you get law wrong regarding kicks taken from the penalty mark i mean if you get that wrong we've seen games even at professional level that have been retaken because the referee didn't know law so you're absolutely right that referees do make mistakes and they make it at the highest level i mean yeah. the, the classic is that is Graham Pohl, um, three yellow cards in a in a World Cup game because he wrote the number down in the wrong column for um, was it Aust- was it Australia and Croatia? Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And he's uh, he's written the the uh, the number down in the wrong column. So yeah, you just got to look after yourselves and, and do the best you can to try and make your your match day experience um, the best that you can. So now that Luke stopped ranting about <laughs> refereeing life, let's finish off with um, so a real. What's the real positive of your refereeing career? And I'm talking about an, an event, not you know the, your progression. What do you think? What stands out? Obviously, refereeing at Wembley's got to be up there. But is there anything else alongside that you think I'm really proud of that moment? Apart from the gold balance final, which we don't want to talk about anymore. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, that's good for that then. Um, I mate, I was I was very lucky to to be again through hard work. Let's not labour on about it, but but to be working with teams of three, um, I was just very fortunate. I'm a I'm a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Took my chances when when I could. Um, took the knockback to the knockbacks when I had to as well. We had. Um, sort of got promoted to to level three went for the interview didn't when they were doing interviews for level three um didn't get didn't get level three went for the fitness test for level four tore my hamstring retook it and failed on the second attempt so was reclassified to level five so that was uh that was a bad that's probably my anus horribilis i think i was um, there when you did that yeah mate that was not a good year i thought well Got gotcha. did the did the UCL Cup final, finished top, went for my level three interview, didn't get it, stayed at level four, tore my hamstring at the first oh. test, thought I was okay to do the second one, no good. You only got you only got two opportunities rather than the current five. Um yeah, so I was reclassified back down to level five. So that was a bit of a bit of a struggle. So you always remember the um the downside and stuff, but I think in answer to your question, just to go out with a group of mates week in, week out, enjoyed the RA, um, was chairman for the for Northampton RA um, for a number of years as well. So just being around some fantastic people and just enjoying my refereeing um, and helping others along the way. Um, and, I, and I sort of think that was sort of paid testament to sort of the end of my career that um, when I said I was stepping down from the regional lead role, 
uh, within FA Corps, the amount of referees that had gone through the system over the six years still took time out to message me to say, whatever you do, Nolsey, just want to wish you all the very best. Um, and I took great heart and, and comfort from that, that that we did help quite a lot of people through through their refereeing careers and um, and obviously worked with some greats along the way as well. Luke, I've got a few funny stories between me and Nolsey over, over the years. It's not Brackley, surely. Go on. Right, number one, I'm going to go for some town Rangers versus somebody. And this is like when the, this is how old we are compared to you, when the old apps started coming out on the old iPhone and we were looking for McDonald's on the way, on the way home. <laughs> but we, we, we never, wrong we, turning at Bedford or something. We never did find it. So I was like, that's miles away. I was going to say, there can't be much, there yeah, can't be much on the way so back from Salem. The, the man, second one is like, nothing there. second one at Bradley. The thing is, coming, Coming back from Soham, you had to kill your own cow yeah. and, and literally put it on the... It was me and you and Graham Kinnear. I, I, I remember the stupidest stuff. The second good story was um, uh, the Brackley incident where at <laughs> half-time, um, we got Dave Jarrett dressed up as the, as the, um, as the mascot for, for Brackley. So the costume was left in the, in the dress. I think it was a friendly against Oxford United because I've got a picture of it still on Facebook somewhere. Yeah. And uh, we dressed him in the costume at half time and the stewards come in. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Nolsey stood there and Jarrett's just in the costume and I think he just t- takes the head off and he's just like, there's a picture of him there. I was like, oh my goodness me. And my, my, my third favourite memory is we did a, um, uh, I don't know if it's a charity game. I don't even know why this happened but it was um, Hollyoaks FC against... Down at, down at Sixfields? Yeah, against somebody. I can't remember. What, and all the Hollyoaks people came. Um, I couldn't na- name any of them now. I think, to- <laughs> I think one of them was called Tony, perhaps. Mate, I couldn't name any of them then, let alone now. <laughs> and uh, we got some pictures. And uh, we all had to wear... So Nolsey brought some football league kit. And there was him, me... Rob Page and Brendan, and we all had the same size kit. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> there was there was a few tops there that you had to iron over a wok. Let's, yeah, let's put it like that. But you had a few crop tops out, didn't you? Yeah, there's a few boob tubes, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that live on yeah. air. And my uh, my wife came down because she was a big Hollyoaks fan, and she got this picture of um her and this Hollyoaks like heartthrob. So what are you doing over there with him when you when you you know you're going to get married to me one day? <laughs> How the mighty have fallen! <laughs> yeah, where's Hollyoaks now, mate? Oh, I think yeah, still exactly. On, you're still going strong. Sarah married you, and where's Hollyoaks now? I told you there's a happy ending there somewhere. Oh, right. We always go out with the intention of getting these interviews done in like thirty minutes or so. So now it's been forty-five minutes. So um. And you said to me, "Why do you want to? T- why do you want to talk to me?" Because exactly what we've just talked about. I know yeah. it's an experience. It's just like those things, you know, you've been through um, the mill. Um, you know, there must be some kind of you know, not regret, but you know, disappointment that you've got to the pinnacle of your career, I suppose, the two A, and you didn't. You know, the the injury came along, and that that's pretty much stopped you from getting to football league and, and, I, and I stand by that because from people I've spoken to forever in Northlands football you know your name always comes up as one of the best referees that they've they've seen and um, we worked together a few times and the aura and and, and I always remember you saying that you know you, the reason you're so you were so good is because you've got a different you know elevation to other people so you can see things from a you know 
a higher level than other people. But you know, it's been a pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> Mate, I I take I take this one. So, well, I took one of these one things away from me. Paul Taylor was my um, PGMO coach, and Steve Dunn was sort of the senior coach at, at Level Two A. And I courteously emailed those as well with my decision in 2015. And f- this is sort of quite important to me: is that out of the look, let's have an up to date figure. Luke, how many registered referees are in the in the country at the moment? Uh, about twenty seven thousand. So we were we were sort of twenty seven, twenty eight thousand at the time, and that for for a, again, I sort of refer to myself as a sort of humble rugby union background boy that that ended up taking up the whistle for for twenty two years. Is that uh, and fifteen years of those with active services as a referee. So I actually finished as one of the top one hundred referees in the country at the at the time of my retirement. So that wasn't a bad gig, to be fair. Um, I've had some wondrous journeys along the way. Um, met some wonderful people, both colleagues, grounds that I was quite fortunate enough to go back to sort of through my coaching role within within FA Core. So that was also nice to go back and sort of have a have a chin wag and, uh, and, a, and a coffee um, rather than being sort of quite ceremonial and formal as a referee. So I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this evening. Thank you very much for having me on. And um, no doubt I'll uh, I'll see you both very soon. Not only that, Nolsey, but you're also in the top 100 referees to have refereed a Goa Barnes Cup final. I don't think, <laughs> I've got to be honest, without wanting to be a statistician here, I'm not, have there ever been, has there been under Goral Barnes? Well, that's for you to, to work out. <laughs> Take the compliment, mate, and uh, and we'll see you very soon. Thanks for your time, mate. Cheers, boys. Ta-ra. All the best. Right, so we are back for the final part of For Sake, uh, episode number 16. So, not even giving the social media director much of a, a shout-out this week. Well, does she deserve one? Well, is it a she? It might be a he. I'm oh, sorry. D- sorry, do they deserve one? Yeah, good third-person <laughs> work there. So, um, another very interesting chat. We, you know, we, we, we're really lucky in terms of the, the guests that we got on here because... As we said at the at the beginning, it's you know we're learning new stuff. Um, we're trying to develop people as referees, but also just giving that information what it's like as a referee because refereeing is really difficult. It is. It's probably the hardest job in football. It's fair to say. It really is, mate. And like we've said just in that interview, that you know we're not here. We're not here to just be pro refereeing, but. It's really difficult, and when when you go to when you go to grounds and yeah, Nolsey touched upon it, and and the the ignorance of some fans and and even to some extent players and managers um, of of what we do is it it makes it and and the word, I mean, the the biggest the biggest frustration for me is that that attitude is what has left made made Nolsey leave the game um, because. I've worked with Nolsey as a as a developer for a long time and he inspired a lot of people and he and he did a lot of good good work in in referee development and it's it's the the attitude of people outside of refereeing that have left him to just go and um work as a as a as a safety person at, at the Saints on a in in the 
in a completely different game in a completely different environment and that's that's really sad to see because he could offer a lot of value the words you just said there was the word i was thinking of during the interview in that it's really sad that you know it's not even it's just having that bit of like decorum and, and respect for people i mean just because you've got an fa badge on people are saying things or making comments or doing things that it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Where do they think these referees are going to come from? I mean, we had um, a game yesterday. Parkinson talking about when I say we um, under fourteens, and we had a young lad called Logan um, who came along, um, and he was one of our uh, one of our recent referee people who just completed the course. He was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He made mistakes, of course he did. He's a new referee, but you know. He was open to advice. He talked to players. He sorted things out. I was like, you know, that's great. That's what we need. But somebody somewhere will say probably something horrible or make a comment somewhere where we'll make a mistake. And he will make a mistake. And these people drift out the game. People, you've got to realise, if you're not a football referee, you've got to realise that, you know, without these people, you won't have... Well, you will have football, but the football won't be what you want it to be. You know, you were saying earlier um, about, um, you know, football supporters thinking that we've had 24 referees or whatever it is who've been biased against us. I've never met a referee who's been biased against anybody. I mean, half the time, I don't even know who the away team is, never mind <laughs> who's playing. <laughs> but Yeah, and yeah. and, and that, that's, that, I mean, that's the worst thing for me, you know, you, you take you take yesterday's game into context, and again, you know, still not still not going to mention the teams, but the the home team were two 0 up. The home team were the were the lower ranked team. They were two 0 up within twenty minutes, and they managed to hold on to that for a little bit. But then they had a they had a they had a ten minute spell in the first half towards the end of the first half where they gave away three really soft goals, and they went in at half time three two down. Now. None of those goals were as a result of anything that we as an official team did. But yet when we walked off at full time and, and they eventually ended up losing 4-3, we were we were subject to a lot of abuse. But nothing that we did affected the outcome of that game. Actually, the three goals that they conceded were really soft. But the first people that they looked at or the, the first people that the crowd looked to blame are the officials. And whilst that doesn't bother me personally, it's it's just the whole mindset of a football fan and football in general, which is really quite concerning. It is, it is, because there's this thing, isn't there, where why do, why do people become referees? So, you know, 90% of the referees that we train um, do it for the financial rewards, and we're talking about youngsters here. Um, so why would they stay in the game if they're being subjected to such abuse. It's a, it's a it's a weird concept, isn't it? You know, is it referees are the easiest people to, to blame. Um, you're, you're really right, mate. And, you know, we had, we had a couple of situations yesterday where people were saying, you've, you've caused this, ref, you've caused this. And um, whilst from a refereeing point of view and a referee development point of view, I can buy into the fact that sometimes we can do things or not do things that, that can cause a greater reaction. Um, I still don't think, based on the game yesterday, 
that we could be held responsible for any of the individual behavior that was demonstrated because ultimately we're all grown adults there's there's somebody on that pitch that has has felt that what they've done is is a, the right thing to do for that time i've not told them to do it i've not told them they can do it and they've all been dealt with retrospectively and will be reported for what they've done but at what point do you get as as a grown adult do you get to the point where you go well i've done that because you've made me do it as an as a referee you know if it's a retaliation thing if i've if i've punched someone then you know I should really expect someone to punch me back. But as a referee in that situation, what can I do? I, you know, <laughs> I haven't made anyone do anything. It is. I mean, people who listen to this podcast, if you're not a referee, and, I'm, you know, there's a few people who do because they mentioned this to me. And I hope you realise that if a referee makes a massive error, number one, they generally know they've made a massive error. And they don't go away from that game thinking, oh, brilliant, I made a massive error today. I'm really proud of myself. They don't. They go away thinking, I'm really annoyed at myself. I'm really disappointed or, you know, I'm really quite sad that I've made that error because for the majority of your referees I've ever met, they want to do the best thing for the game. They, don't, they haven't got back into the game for, you know, going to referee a game and keeping 22 people happy. They've gone because they want to stay involved in football. Um, they don't want to go over there and, and, and upset people. And I've had this recently where um, I've observed somebody or coached somebody or mentor somebody and they've come at the end of the game and went, oh, I really made that mistake there, didn't I? And I've, got, and I've been honest with them and said, yeah, you did. And they're like, oh, I'm so annoyed with myself for doing that. They haven't done it on purpose to say, oh, I really want to annoy X, Y, and Z. They've done it, you know, in good, in good faith and have made that mistake. And sometimes you have to be honest with people and say, yeah, I made a mistake there. But when people are blaming you for, you know, making a, a perceived mistake and actually it's not really your fault, it's somebody else's fault, that's frustrating for, for the referees. And I said to you earlier, Luca, you're getting ranty and now I'm getting ranty. But in, I think it's worthwhile in this case. No, and yeah, mate, you're right. And it it affects it affects us as people and it affects our weekends. It's our weekends as well. You know, it's, it's not our, it's not our full-time job. Um, and, and it's, it is really hard. You know, you go, you go out and you do a game Saturday and you, and you get something or not necessarily get something wrong because who's saying whether it's right or wrong, but you worry about things and you think about things. And then Sunday, Sunday's your family day. Sunday, I'm going to take, my daughter Lily out swimming. I'm gonna, you know, spend the whole day with her because I work full time and then I'm out all day Saturday. So Sunday's family day. But then if if I'm sat there worrying about whether I've got a decision right, what the observer's gonna think, what are the clubs gonna mark me, and I'm a miserable so and so on a on a Sunday, um that's and that that's a direct result of what's happened on the Saturday or the Tuesday or whatever. That's not fair on on her. That's not fair on my family. But what what the wider public don't think about is that side of things. They think on the day you're wearing that black shirt, you, you you're the referee. You deserve any stick you get because you've made a decision wrong. We don't do it deliberately, and and we're all human beings at the end of the day. We've all got stuff to do. We've all got lives to live. We're at the level we are because we are as good as we are, and and that's the thing that people have got to remember. It's 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 as it's as simple as that. And if if it's so bloody easy. You have a go at it. <laughs> Agreed. Right. 
rant over. Let's stay positive because next week is episode 17. 17 yeah. is also a prime number. Good. Good fact. Like that. And we've got no idea who the guest is next week. But I'm sure there's somebody good. Don't give that away. Or maybe I do know who it is. <laughs> I don't know who it no, is. No, we don't. No. Have a great week, everybody. Um, I'm sorry if we got a bit ranty today, but, you know, power to the people and all that. Um, I have been on strike this week as a, as a teacher, so maybe that's why. But it's been... I, have, I haven't been on strike. I'm just miserable. Get in the public sector, mate. Yes. Actually, that's getting too Well, no, I, have, I haven't been on strike because I've been on annual leave. I've had a nice week at Centre Park, so I don't know why I'm quite as ranty as I am, to be fair. Oh, I was going to mention it, actually. I mean, who did you buy that um, as a Christmas present for the social media director's parents? No, they 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 bought it for us. Ah, oh, right, the other way around. I mean, yeah. So they've almost punished themselves by saying, "I'm going to buy a Christmas present for you, and I'm coming with you." Have <laughs> they punished themselves, or have they punished you? That's another topic of debate. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> P.S. William Collier, you're my favourite um, beaded person in the Collier family. There's nobody else in the Collier family with beads, is there? I was, I was just, I was just checking my, my memory there. No, there isn't. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs>